not underestimate the power of PlayStation. Welcome to Beyond Episode 480. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to talk about finishing up Resident Evil 7 and what we think of that. Uh, Zach Ryan not being very good at Neo, uh, Call of Duty and Destiny's future in 2017, and romance in video games because of a nice little holiday called Valentine's Day. Uh, my name is Marty Sleva. Brian and Max are dead. Forever. It's incredible. What? Yeah. No, well, they went down to L.A. to do weird stuff with a jet. Uh, but instead, we have Alana Pierce. Hi. We have Andrew Goldfarb singing that song he always sings. Happy New Year, everyone. And Zach Ryan. <laughs> hey, Valis Morgani. <laughs> Yikes. What? Valor, what is it? Valor Morgulis? <laughs> Stop it. Valor Morgulis. Valor Morgulis. All right. So that's what happened right before we started recording. Yep. Uh, we, Guys, we, we should probably warn people that this show is going to be fast and loose because so there's not a ton of news. We're also recording yeah. on Monday. Know mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So um, we usually record on Tuesday. So if anything happens on Tuesday, uh, we are sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it will, inevitably. And we'll yeah. just post in the uh, Podcast Beyond uh, Facebook page about how sorry we are that we didn't cover that stuff. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So hopefully nothing breaks. Um, let's talk about some of the stuff we've been playing. Alana, we finished Resident Evil 7? We did, yeah. It was very uh, spookous. The first, well, it's hard to say how many hours that game is because apparently you can finish it in like three hours. Yeah, there's like crazy speedruns, knife only. Yeah, hours. Um, average is 10. We finished it in seven, so it done. varies pretty dramatically. Wow, you guys are pro gamers. We finished yeah. it in seven, but we the, we had played through the first two hours several times. I had played so. through, well, I, te- I think that's technically the first three or four, yeah. again, depending on how you play it, but I'm so familiar with the layout of that house at this point mm-hmm. that I can get through it incredibly quickly. Yeah. You know what? Everything It was insane playing house. it. Like, I didn't have, like, I, res- I liked the layout of the house a lot, but I definitely didn't know it well. And you would just be like, oh, go down the stairs, go to the right, go through that door. Yeah, I, I think I could like walk someone through exactly how to find certain objects yeah. at this point. Uh, it's a there's, really smart design. There's parts, uh, there's parts of that house that you go back to so many mm-hmm. times. There's yeah. corridors. That, I'm about three quarters of the way through the game. I'm almost done with it now. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I feel like there's there's certain parts of that game that you just know inside and out, mm-hmm. having having played even just one especially the core house like the jack part of the house yeah but it doesn't feel repetitive to me either because uh Mm -mm. it actually starts to evolve Mm -hmm. the further you go things change and there's also the old lady just shows up every now and then so So it's i just don't like it she used to open the door she's just hanging out there and i don't like it had a real had a real moment with that old lady down in the basement where i came downstairs and she was just there and it was like how did you get down here you're in a wheelchair and it's awful yeah like this is terrifying there's a dumb waiter in the back but i was going to say that i think the first what I would say for most people are six hours. Uh, I absolutely love. Um, yeah, I would say like the first two thirds of the game. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Marty uh, totally pissed on my parade today when we were coming back from lunch because he said that uh, not the expression. When uh, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, he he said that uh, <laughs> I'm right at the part of the game where he kind of turned off. Where it's like right after this encounter is where he kind of got a little. Well, we were both tweeting about it, um, mm-hmm. and it seems like most people tend to agree there's basically a choice that you have to make, and then everything after the choice. Regardless of the choice. <sighs> yeah, regardless of the choice. It just loses itself. Yeah, really it, loses a, it loses its really great sense of place, uh, and it just loses a lot of the characters that you really like. I don't know why it Dude, does that. The it's... weird thing is almost every Resident Evil game does that. Like, the last third of Resident Evil 4 isn't that great. The last, the, like, the, the lab stuff in Resident Evil 1 isn't the stuff I remember from Resident yeah. Evil Yeah, because they all have, like, really high highs, like, mm-hmm. in the first third. Like, yeah. I feel like Resident Evil games, like, the first time they shock you, really, really shock you, and then you never quite live up to that again. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I I, I, overall, I, like, I, I super like the game. Right, and despite the ending, I didn't think it was bad. I just didn't think it was half as good mm-hmm. as the start. I would still totally recommend it to people. I like yeah, it. I, really I mean, I'm still, like, despite the fact that you guys have, are lukewarm on the, the last act, I... I'm still really excited to finish this game. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I doesn't deter from any of the time that I've spent playing it so far. Like I really love everything that I've seen yeah. up until yeah. this point. So like, I'm yeah, and to like it. without going to spoilers, I think the way it it pulls together some of the mysteries is interesting, and it leaves mm-hmm. the door open for other in- mysteries. It's kind of odd the way that's paced that they pack all of the story stuff into the last third instead of pacing it out mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing, and it, it it feels like it's a completely different game. Yeah, like. 
I wonder if there was some weird decision decision making process that just totally changed how the game was originally to how. Yeah, it was. and it totally leaves me like I'm curious what Resident Evil Eight is going to be like. Is it going to be more like the first two thirds, or is it going to mm. be more like the last third? And it's also weird because huh. we're still getting that Resident Evil Two remake. Yeah, yeah. yeah supposedly. I, I really worry. One of the things that's interested me again, and why I'm going to play this, other than just everyone saying good things, is that. I like that it feels it's not really a reboot, but it's like it just feels separate and it's it's less of the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worry that if they're going to bring all the story stuff back in, like I don't want a Resident Evil 8 that then really concretely ties it to the older games. I would almost rather see them like go for more of like that weird, like spooky vibe and like try something new or a new setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's Resident Evil is such a complicated franchise because there are pieces of it that I do always want to see and then other pieces of it where I'm like. Man, if they just started from scratch, I'd be fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think this game, particularly if it was totally standalone, it didn't tie into Resident Evil at all, which it does uh, at the end. I would not have cared. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that what it has at the start, uh, specifically, oh, I can't say anything without spoilers, but the, the first two thirds is is really, really strong, and there is nothing that really links it to Resident Evil aside Until from the, yeah. the uh, I mean, puzzle. Aspects and there's a, there's a couple and, of little tiny like Easter egg things. Like, small you see, things. Yeah. you see an article by Ashcroft. You see yeah. uh, the Spencer Mansion. They mentioned our yeah, 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 yeah. And people are saying there's herbs and stuff. Like it sounds. Yeah, like yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's what it is. Like, like, it's a portrait gameplay. of the Arclay like, Mountain Range, yeah. not yeah. the Spencer Mansion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, and I'm still weirded out by the fact that Resident Evil Two is going to remake. Yeah, I mean, I think the speculation there is that it's. Going to be remade, but almost in a Resident Evil Four sort of vein, like a like a over the shoulder kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, which I could get down with. Like, yeah, I don't necessarily like need and Claire. Yeah, I mean Resident Evil Two. I I love that game. I think it's so right. great, and the the way that um the two uh, different playthroughs interact with each other, zapping. depending on yeah the zapping system. Yeah. There's a really great episode of Retronauts about Resident Evil Two where they talk yes, about that, right. and um I think it's so brilliant, and I think that it it having a remake of that game come out now when you have a lot of people that are maybe that were too young to play Resident Evil 2 when it came out on PlayStation and it's a lot harder to track down now to for them to experience that and see what that resident version of Resident Evil was like would, I think it'd be super cool. Yeah. When how would it be received? Well especially now like the perspective thing is interesting to me yeah. because like I do wonder about the future of Resident Evil in first person as opposed to going back to like more of like the old school style or like kind of the meet in the middle right. thing. Right. So it's like what Canonical entries are in first person now, and then like side stories are these sort of over the like Resident Evil revelations. Like they're more in the vein of four or like a two remake. I I like the idea of you said meet in the middle of first and third person. So it's a second. No, so it's a second person game. So it's just (laughs) it keeps it's just a a mirror of you. (laughs) Well, there are a ton of games where you can swap. Right, you can play in first person and third person mode, and and I feel like that would work really well in Resident Evil Seven. But I know before you played it, you were kind of worried that it wouldn't feel like. Oh yeah, and I was totally fine with it. Yeah. I, mean, I think that that's yeah. readily apparent within the first hour of that game. That's like, oh, this is definitely Resident Evil. Yeah, I actually kind of feel like the start of that game doesn't feel like Resident. Well, not Evil. Not the super opening. Like once you once you once get, you get, to get the, in the house, once you get to the dinner table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Once yeah, through the dinner table sequence, I think. Yeah, is, for I mean, sure. it's, it's so crazy that divide because we all assume that Silent Hills, if it had come out, would not have been in first person the way PT was Shh, because so, of yeah. Norman Reedus. Because Why of Norman Reedus. Yeah, yeah. and also because I would have assumed it was running on the MGS5 engine. Yeah. So I I'm. Just curious, like, how much it matters. I think for VR, obviously, I think first person's much more immersive than if you had, like, a stupid guy's button in front of you or whatever. But, like, even third person has, like, such a range of, like, the Gears of War style third person is very different than, like, Uncharted third person, you know? That's true. And I think that maybe Ethan loses some personality by virtue of it being first person. Oh, absolutely. He's so cardboard. He kind of is. We kept making jokes about him being, like, Aiden Pierce or Jason Brody. Like, he's just kind of not really a character, which I think is fine because he is... A vessel to yeah. all of these other very interesting characters. Well, not only that, but I think that that a lot of the reaction that you're having would be sort of undercut by him having some kind of outlandish reaction. You know, if something is jumping out at you and your character is screaming on screen while you're also like getting spooked, There's, maybe that that would undercut the the overall effect. Like yeah. of a, of long a scare, into you know? the game, like you're not there yet, but there is a moment where it quickly shows you what Aiden looks like, and we we're both like, "What is that? Who we are?" Ethan? Or Ethan? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it does too. <laughs> and we're just like, "Oh, is that we're it?" We're both like, "Huh." His hair color is not what I expected. <laughs> what does he look like? I think he's like, like bright green. It's crazy. Blonde. Oh, yeah. blonde. It's like yeah. a blonde, broy. Oh. Just, yeah. Yeah, you you kind of 
I, well, I mean, who cares? Even Turns now, out he's but... Dante from DMC. And yeah. Whoa. Crossover. He has this cool Dante haircut. Uh, one cool <laughs> thing is uh, out tomorrow, I believe, is the first piece of DLC, mm. which uh, has a... Was that I, was the first DLC not out already? Maybe out, maybe it was out last week. Oh. It was out first on PS4. Okay. But anyways, uh, it has a couple things. But the coolest thing is a uh, tape. Which if you play the game, the tapes are sort of these uh, single stories that oh, exist in the past. Yeah. But the thing is, you're one of the cameramen, and Marguerite uh, captures you and locks you in a room and tells you you can't get out of bed. And the whole thing is she leaves, and you pretty much it's a room escape puzzle. Cool. And you Kinda have like to the, uh, birthday, birthday party, party, but much more puzzly. And the whole thing of it is you have to rummage around this room, figure out what you're doing. But when you start making noise and triggering things, she hears you and wants to come back in the room. And you have to put everything back and get back in the bed. And if you're not in bed, she'll just kill you. Or if it's like, oh, crap, I moved this poster to the side. Or I moved this painting to the side. And she notices that I didn't move it back. And so she'll kill you. It sounds like a game in itself. Yeah, Yeah, right. Doesn't it sound super cool? cool? Yeah. And so hopefully, I think there's three DLC drops. So hopefully all of them have something cool like this. Yeah, I I really like the birthday party thing, which, um, I mean, I wouldn't want to spoil, but is almost like a soul puzzle Mm -hmm. in the soul movies. It's it's really brilliant too because it it teaches you that that game is all about sequence breaking mm-hmm. and yeah. how you can hack the game itself and like oh, yeah. you know oh like yeah it's just when you come back to it, yeah. You just, yeah yeah we can't like you said earlier like you can't really talk about it without spoiling too much but yeah. like those of you that have played it know like there's a secret way to get around that puzzle it's the only the way to get around birthday it the second time yeah yeah oh happy I, happy I love the way that you get through it and it's like oh I didn't die because of that like it's, right. it's really yeah. really cool um, and Lucas right Andrew who kind of orchestrates that <laughs> is uh, my favorite character in that game actually which I would not have guessed at the yeah. start Lucas he's from Mother 3 he is but yeah. he's very wow. small that's why he's blonde yeah <laughs> an, even, uh, an even bigger crossover yeah I'm, I'm really excited to play this yeah, uh, it's it's, I, I was saying this on GameScoop last week but it's, it's very weird to be at a point where a Resident Evil game isn't a must play on day one for me because I think yeah. like following four it would have been, but then after being burned on five and six and Revelations and Operation Raccoon City and Umbrella Core, like I've just kind of been burned out in the franchise. But hearing so many good things, I'm like, okay, I'm back in. Like now sure. I'm excited to go yeah. back. This and play. is absolutely the best Resident Evil game since four, and I think that oh. it's just benefited by the fact that you can play it in PSVR. Mm-hmm. That Very makes cool. it even cooler. I'm, there's no way I'm ever going to play it. No, it's too uh, <laughs> screw that. Yeah. Also, I, I love that you guys uh, just took a Friday night to just like blast through it. Like, yeah. I think that that's yeah. really cool. I haven't just like sat with a bud and played through a game top to bottom in so long, and that just sounds I mean, like a lot of fun. Horror games are the best, in yeah. my opinion. Like, and we've talked about this before. Like, for me, I wouldn't have enjoyed PT as much if I hadn't played it with a big group of people. Like, I've I feel only like ever played so PT with a friend. Ever. Yeah, and it helps so much. Yeah. It's like, especially if you play with someone who like isn't super into games. Yes, mm. uh, totally. it is so. It's like such a surprising and scary and just messed up yeah. thing. And it, like their reactions are almost as fun. As I've, the thing s- I've said that before. PT and Journey are games that I play if I start dating someone who doesn't really play games. Like I show them those two had to be like, hey, this is how diametrically different games could be. But yeah. I think you're gonna dig both of these. Well, you did until one of those girls stepped on your. Yeah, and the one yeah. stepped on my PS4 and broke Rip. my PT. Yeah, she's gone. She's in New Orleans. She broke your PT? Yeah, she broke... Yikes. <laughs> oh, dang. Uh, well, you, you had your... on your parade. <laughs> you had your PT broken over the weekend by Neo. God, dude. <laughs> Neo is really hard. Um, I really love that game, or I think that I do. Uh, it is really tough, and I'm like... I'm a big Dark Souls fan. Yeah. I'm a big Bloodborne fan. I've played hours and hours of both of those games. And, well, the Dark Souls series and Bloodborne, but uh, Neo is just handing my ass to me... Uh, Especially, like I'm not even past the first real boss. Like there's one boss that you fight at the beginning of the game that's like a pushover, and the second boss you come across, I fought him for literally <laughs> two hours last night and can't figure out what I'm doing. You said wrong. that if you can't beat him tonight, you're just gonna quit the game. Yeah, I mean I'm gonna have to because <laughs> like last night I threw a just real big time baby rage quit like for the first time in a very long time I whipped a controller across the room. It was just like how, and I think that's that's kind of the thing that. Team Ninja is known for making these like super intense tough yeah. games, and Devil's when third. It, right, <laughs> <laughs> but when uh, when a team like that is like, well, we're gonna make a game like Dark Souls. It's like why? Yeah, I mean that it just seems like maybe they're even this. It this game feels tougher to me than Dark Souls. Chloe well, said it feels, it Chloe had trouble with it, like, and she's like the Chloe Souls player in the office. Yeah, she's the yeah. So I mean brave. hands down yeah. probably the best video game player in the yeah. office that we have. But it's like. Uh, what about Max? The only thing... <laughs> <laughs> Max is great. Um, Voice robotic games. The only thing that... Uh, the biggest disappointment with Neo is that it is tough, but it's not tough in the way that, like, when I die 20 times to a Dark Souls boss, each time it's like, well, I should have dodged there, or I you blocked too late, or, yeah, or I didn't bring enough potions, or whatever. 
the thing with Neo is uh, Estes. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, actually. Um, <laughs> well, if I didn't do it, someone was going to do it. Oh, God, I know. I'm still thinking about how I said pissed on your parade earlier. And it's just driving me nuts. Uh, but the thing about Neo is like there's often times where I don't feel that way. And mm. granted, yes, I'm only stuck at the very first boss and go ahead and flame me. But uh, there's so many times in that that this one encounter where I've gotten hit by something that I've dodged the five times before that. And I just, mm. I can't figure out what I'm doing wrong. And I've looked at a couple of different strategy videos, both of the IGN wiki and other places. And it's just like, I just can't get past this boss and it's driving yeah. me nuts. But as a testament to Neo, I will say that regardless of how many different times I've tried to fight face this dude, I still want to go back. I still want to get past it. Yeah. I still want to see the rest of what that game has to offer because Everybody loves it, and I know just the same way that that I got killed a million times playing Vicar Amelia in Bloodborne. Yeah. Yep. I just need to get past this one point, yeah. and then it's one of those like learning curve things. And know? then you so. feel like that's the value of those games for me, and why I liked my yeah. time with Bloodborne, why even like roguelikes and stuff is that when you do finally do it after failing and failing and failing and failing, yeah. like the surge of just like pride that yeah. you have will keep you going through the next like three bosses yeah you know, that was like, you with spelunky right when you yeah. were like super crazy into it yeah. yeah for sure with spelunky like the first time you get to hell or yeah. even city of gold and then even in bloodborne like the first boss is whatever but i feel like once you're two or three bosses in and then yeah like vicar amelia like that was about as far as i got in the game sure but when you man when you finally get past like something you've been trying for so long you're like okay like if i did that i can do this next thing yeah. you know what an awful fleshy horsewoman she is yeah but how great is bloodborne huh yeah, that game rules. Yeah. this is uh, something that i also kind of like about especially in bloodborne i feel like there were bosses that i had difficulty with that other people did not totally yeah, yeah. so totally. there are things that like depend on your own play yeah. right. you might be having trouble here but yeah. other people didn't and it'll be totally Dude, i didn't, I didn't have else. any trouble any of the times i played through on victor amelia but father gasiglione is still like mm. hands my ass to me every time yeah I which is crazy because yeah. i beat him faster than i beat the first boss yeah so that's ever dude that's well yeah. i mean monty and i were like that with resident evil right like oh yeah i the tar monsters that exist i don't find them hard to get through at all they're just the, the biggest headshots yeah they're just well, the biggest pain in the ass i, I just bail uh yeah. i just yeah. completely run and i've been fine but then you get through the one of the fights with jack that took me forever yeah. to get through because it stressed me out yeah well, it's, I get it's probably like fun. yeah it's probably like different proficiencies in the way that it's some people are better styles, at, well yeah, yeah and yeah. like some people are better at math than they are at english and it's like yeah. yep. well i'm better at shooting than i am at puzzle solving <laughs> one of us is clearly like that, better right? at the, the shadow puzzles well i think it's it's a really weird it's a weird subjectivity it's, thing it's i think why reviewing games is hard because yeah. you you have your own soul experience and you might like even when we were talking about inside you know when we were playing through it like i got stuck for so long in a part that you breeze through and yeah. i I think it's like a really yeah. weird. Do you remember which part? Uh, the mermaid girl. Oh with yeah, the yeah, hook. yeah. Oh uh-huh. dude, yeah. yeah. That took me probably seriously fifty tries, and he said he just did it in his first try. <laughs> yeah. think about it. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm very proficient when it comes to mermaid girls. Yeah, oh, trying yeah. to lure them towards me. Ever since you, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, <laughs> ever since you boned that fish. <laughs> so uh, getting back to Neo, <laughs> I was going to ask Zach, what is it that makes it hard? I feel like I can describe what makes Bloodborne and Dark Souls hard, but if Neo is harder, why? Like, what is it? Uh, I think that there's just a lot of different systems. And I think, especially coming off of, like... So I just finished uh, the first Dark Souls DLC, mm. and I think part of me still is in this Dark Souls mindset, and Neo is so much faster, and there's so many things that you need to keep closer attention awesome. to. Well, I guess Bloodborne well, is. Bloodborne is faster. Yeah. This is similar to Bloodborne. I would say it's even faster than Bloodborne, and there's, like, on top of Bloodborne's weapon switching mechanics you know like you have um two different versions of every weapon right neo has um three different stances that you can employ at any different time right Mm -hmm. so there's one for speed one for defense and one for offense and so depending on the button combinations that you push you can change your stance in mid stride so that you like this boss that i'm currently fighting i uh, usually have him my character in low stance so I can dodge and then when the boss opens up you switch to high stance so you can do the most damage and then you switch back so you're constantly switching that and then also the way that you recharge your stamina is called key pulse in this game and so unless you've mastered the key pulse mechanic as well there's just like three or four systems on top of each other that stack in Neo that you have to kind of get down and I think that's sort of what the point of this whole boss is about because he's not particularly speedy he's just this huge boss in a small arena that you just have you have to learn to dodge you have to learn to manage your stamina and I just haven't done that yet the way you're describing him reminds me of the first boss did any of you guys play Revengeance? yes yeah Yeah. it reminds me of that first boss where if you know what you're doing it's a super easy boss it's a dog the thing is you have to have learned 
how to parry. Mm-hmm. <gasps> and if you didn't learn how to parry, you literally might not be able to get past that Can I boss. tell you my story about that? Did you try to get past them without parrying? Someone, I was reviewing that game, and a friend told me well, that... Well, that'd be such a tough game to review. It was fine. Huh? Uh, a friend told me that <laughs> you couldn't parry orange attacks, which are all of the heavy attacks from bosses. I got through that fight without parrying. I got to... Like, this one thing that wasn't even a boss, and emailed the PR guy and was like, this game is so hard, and I hate it, and I just cannot play it. And he's like, are you parrying? And like, wait, I could parry those? <laughs> he's like, I could do that this whole time. Someone told me I couldn't. He was like, who said that? And was like, friend James? <laughs> he was like, Man. yeah, you should be real mad at James. He was like, <laughs> I... Yokojima himself? Sounds like I James really pissed on your parade. <laughs> he really pissed on my parade. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I got <laughs> shockingly far in that game without parrying. I reviewed all of Captain Toad without running. Uh, yeah, I played all of Dark Souls 3 without learning any how to do any of the weapon arts. Like, Yeah, you can get through Dark Souls 11. Yeah. I got through all of Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, also not knowing you could run. I beat Mario <laughs> I 64 without ever no jumping way. one time. I reviewed multiple games not knowing you could That's run. That's not true. I played through wow. Persona 5 without speaking the language. It was <laughs> hard mode. Yeah, I call that hard mode. mode. Um, speaking of switching stances, uh, I've been playing a bunch of uh, four on a beta. Just um, stance? Just stance. Just stance. <laughs> <laughs> Can we call this segment just stance? Yes, please. <laughs> so uh, Brian and I have actually been playing four and we've been live streaming. Um, May he rest in peace. Lost, lost stream was technically yesterday, if this is going up on Wednesday. Uh, it's oh. a incredibly like actually innovative game i feel like i so rarely think that games are unique or innovative i feel like full honor actually is what it prevent what it provides is so different to any other experience i've ever had and it's constantly challenging and i think the best thing about it is that every single match you have to learn Mm -hmm. so especially if it's 1v1 which is my favorite mode it's like a fighting game you have to learn (laughs) the play style of the other character and they're trying to learn you at the same time so both your strategies at the start could be completely different by the end of that match and you're trying to employ misdirection yeah and like you you might figure out that they start really aggressively so you start blocking and then you try and get a parry in and you shield break and you get them back and you also have to learn basically all of the moves that the other classes have uh i feel like it's just more of a learning experience or a learning exercise than it is anything else and i really really like that about it it's awesome yeah you think so, it's gonna, sorry I, I haven't played it since e3 2015 Yikes. and it's crazy it's probably a different game yeah yeah it, like it's i'm it's really excited actually, to jump into it because it, like, it it look looking at footage it <laughs> looks like it's essentially the same game there's just way more of it yeah. basically yeah and a lot more uh characters i think they call them heroes probably yeah. but uh it hasn't changed a whole lot since the first time i played it which i think was also e3 2015 it's super similar um and i mean it's obviously all well i guess maybe then it was more focused on the idea that you can change where you're defending right so you yeah it was, yeah, it was all about that you holding the points yeah. yeah you saw no no i mean like literally you change your stance to defend like high or left oh, or right. yeah, oh yeah yeah. The three, uh, yeah. The yeah. Yep. yeah and i feel like i do a lot less of that than i thought that i would when i first played it um the only time that i will actually defend because i usually play this really light class uh is if i'm co- kind of cornered and someone's getting combos on me and i have to to get out of it is the only time i will actually do that kind of parry and a lot of stuff's really timing based so because my character is really fast uh I do a lot of dodging instead of blocking, but if I get hit by a heavy attack three times, I'm dead. So it's it's all just super, super calculated, and uh, usually the way that I tend to die the most is by being like, oh, he's only got a tiny bit of health left. I should just sure. kill him. Yeah, yeah. And then I just yeah, end up getting risk destroyed. And, Dude, sort that's of thing. and that's yeah. the that's like a classic Dark Souls mistake. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm, like, I'm gonna get aggressive because you only have a little bit left. And it's yeah. like, nope, you can't change your like just you gotta stick with yeah, it. To the yeah. Totally, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's some really cool stuff that you can do with bleeding damage as well, which is probably one of the most satisfying kills. One of the characters can do bleeding damage. So you leave that to the very, very end, and then you, and then you just, just walk away. And they just bleed out and die. Yeah, it's it is a fantastic game. Uh that I for whatever reason pretty much don't think i'm gonna play ever again so yeah that was my question uh longevity wise is is there a lot to be had because like i've seen not a ton of this game but it looks very samey to me like it looks fun as hell but it just looks like a lot of the modes are really similar or there are a few different modes uh but even with that, I tended to just play 1v1 or 2v2 because those are the ones I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they'll add more modes and there's tons of customization and unlockables and that kind of stuff. But because every single person you play against is completely different, it doesn't feel repetitive. Uh, I could play this game for hours without even realizing that I'm playing it for hours. But for whatever reason, I think beyond playing it on the streams, 
I just don't have a desire to pick it up again, and I don't exactly know why that is. Like, it is absolutely a good game. Yeah. It's just... I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of right there with you because I, I've seen so much coverage of this game, and it looks really interesting, but something in the back of my mind is like, oh, I probably oh, my, I just won't get around to it. My whole thing like, right now, like, the reason I haven't started Neo is because I'm waiting to get code for Horizon because I want to be able to play through Horizon and talk about it on the show and just because I'm stoked about it, and I want to get it off my plate before Zelda comes out. See, yeah, Good luck. That, that's I know my that's concern my with this. Like, like, I feel like if I don't play For Honor, because we're recording this day before it comes out, if I don't play it this week... I feel like I'll never play it. Yeah. Well, that could be part of what I'm thinking is that if you buy For Honor and it's the only game that you buy in the next six months, that is a solid investment. You will get a ton of time out wow. of it. You will keep playing it. I imagine that the servers will be really active. I think it'll probably have a, a really good competitive scene. Plus going through all the classes. Like I would imagine yeah. that even when you've like mastered one, you can jump to the next game. class. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, the next one that you jump to, can you can suck at because yeah. you're so accustomed to the way the other one played. And right. they all have like these different advanced combos that are really interesting to master yeah the samurai seems like it's so different like because yeah. i was watching brandon play a little bit just the, like in the beta of like different classes having compared to like old gameplay footage i'd seen and i was like god it's like crazy how it like it looks like the same game obviously but you really do play completely differently i was talking to mitch about it who mitch used to work here he's been on the show before um he is not dead uh because he's playing currently playing for honor uh, <laughs> so i was talking to mitch from beyond the grave <laughs> turns out scoop in heaven only for honor <laughs> <laughs> on every uh, machine <laughs> he uh he's comparing it a lot to like when he jumped into dota for the first time yeah and, like, I, learning, I, learning each class is like learning a new hero i, I wouldn't say it's a far reach to say that it's kind of like a hero shooter compared with a fighting game uh which is why i say it's really unique and i'm super impressed by it but yeah i mean when i'm thinking about all of the stuff that i need to play right now thinking about playing that versus zelda and horizon and mass effect it's just like yeah, and Sniper Elite, of course. Um, I mean, I also really want to play Gravity Rush. You yeah. don't want to play Resident Evil. It's just... God, there's so much. That, Yoshi's Ro- Woolly World on 3DS. It's so good. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I 100%ed it fully yes. this weekend. I got everything you can do in that whole game. Even the boss rushes and the, the gold, platinum, and silver I just Yoshi. really wanted yeah. Andrew to nerd out about Yoshi for a minute. Did so you, are, you, you are still playing games. Well, I'm playing a game I can't talk about. Uh, it's taking up most of my time. And then I'm playing... Uh, yeah, the 3DS stuff. And, like, that's my thing. Like, I want to jump into... I really do want to try Neo out. Like, I never beat Bloodborne, but I feel like I want that comparison. Um, and then I want to play For Honor. But, yeah, like, I feel like once we get Horizon and Zelda and Switch... Mass Effect. Mass Effect, Persona is the beginning of April. Oh, like, God. once we have all of that stuff, I don't know when I'll have time. Because those are all really is, long games. Is the game yeah. you can't talk about Detroit Become Human? Damn. Yeah, super early. I build. wish. Is it t- Telltale's Battleship Potemkin? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, it's, but it's about Mandy Potemkin. My, really. my, Minesweeper VR. Yeah. Yeah. Minesweeper oh. VR. Not Minecraft. <laughs> no, Minesweeper. <laughs> no, Minesweeper. <laughs> oh, that would be like. Um, but for For Honor, I think that if you have access to it, I'm sure we have copies here somewhere. Yeah. You could play it for a day and be satisfied with it and understand what it is and understand what's good about it and recognize that. And I think that is valuable. And then yeah. never play it again and be fine. I mean, I want that. I want that like sense of literacy about a game like sure, that. Sure, to be like, able to, to talk. Be able about to talk. It. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I think that's. I mean, that's just part of our jobs because yeah. in December, when people are talking about For Honor, you have you'll have to think back, like, oh yeah, that came out in February. Did I play that? I don't remember. Well, and was also, it like, if it's really blending genres that much, like the first time something comes off out that's a For Honor ripoff, like I want to be able to acknowledge. Dude, it. Yeah, I sure, want yeah. to be able to say like, oh, it does this better, but this not as well. Yeah, yeah. whatever else. Cool. For sure. We've actually been playing games. I'm proud of us. Most of the times we don't play games. Sometimes we do. I don't know. I play a lot of games. <laughs> uh, but news-wise, uh, one of the only big things of the past week has been the, I mean, it sounds boring to start off with, the Activision's earnings call, but you actually, <laughs> I know, seriously. Uh, but we got uh, some cool tidbits on uh, Call of Duty and Destiny's future this fall. Yes. Uh, so the, they're both real quick. They were kind of just offhanded comments and, and appearances and like, um... These investor calls, they like they put out a big press release. It's a bunch of numbers. They usually dry um, as a piss parade. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're um, they're basically like really just nerdy spreadsheets, and then they do these calls where they explain what's there and they translate to English basically. And in the calls are Q and A's, and you just get a little bit more info. And so for calls, Wait, can you, you ever can you ever like yell and ask a question? 
No, we're we're listening. We were. Uh, yes, mode hi, Andrew Goldfarb, IGN dot com. When will you make a dating sim? <laughs> Uh, I, I think the most interesting is Riley returning. Every single I totally Duty. forgot about Dog that. Dog Call of Duty. Of course, I, I remembered his name. Everyone tweet Activision with hashtag Bring Back Riley. Uh, <laughs> uh, the ghost of Riley. Oh, uh, but they're saying Call of Duty is going back to its roots, which maybe means Riley is coming nope. back. But I'm <laughs> guessing what I think everyone is assuming that means is uh, more period pieces. You know, they've done. With obviously modern warfare and then black ops and then advanced warfare and uh, infinity, well, infinite warfare, yeah. all of that stuff has been future and it's really been a while since we've gone back to maybe not oh, World wow. War Two but even just classical warfare. Yeah. Well, when was the last uh, World Heart, of War? Hearts of Black Ops. Two. Oh, that's War? right. Well, Flashbacks of and Black Ops One, I guess, also was like that was like Vietnam era, but it yeah. was still yeah. it yeah. wasn't post. You played you know, in different eras of Black So how many years has that been? Black Ops Two was four years ago. I reviewed it at one up. Wow. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wonder, like, I wonder what they could do that they haven't done yet. Or I wonder what they could go back to, to show World War Two or sure. whatever. So different is, this, this, is this, this is Sledgehammer, right? Yeah. This is Sledgehammer's year. And they did um, Advanced Warfare was their last full game. Then they helped on Modern Warfare 3. Uh, do you think this is reactionary given the success of Battlefield 1? Do you I, think they're seeing Battlefield 1 and saying, oh, maybe we should take it back to... I, th- I think people are going to say that, but I think this game has been in development for a while. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. there's I no mean, way they changed this late in the game. They're very yeah. public about the dev cycles for Call of Duty, and they're now... It was for a long time, it was Infinity War, Treyarch, Infinity War, Treyarch. They're now in a three-year cycle. And so, theoretically, Sledgehammer's been working on this for two, two years, years prior to this. Sure. Now, that said, I'm sure Battlefield 1 was in development for at least a couple of years as well. So, like, maybe it was, like, one of those happy coincidences, yeah. like, ants in a bug, li- a bug yeah, life. And Volcano and Dante. Deep, yeah, deep yeah. back, Armageddon, all that stuff. Um, I don't think they would do World War 1. What if though. we just did that the rest of the show? We just, <laughs> just, just wrap those off. The two oh, just get up and walk uh, away. The Prestige and the Illusionist. Yeah, yeah. Prestige yeah. and the Illusionist. Yeah. Uh, the Illusionist is so bad compared yeah. to the, yeah. the Prestige rules. Uh, I, I do. I don't think they'll go back that far. I, I would say Back to I its agree. Roots to me does imply World War II. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I did an interview with Eric Hirschberg at E3 2015. It might have been earlier than that about if they would ever revisit World War II. And he was like, yeah, if the, if the idea is there. So... How do they we'll make that different at this point, though, right? Exactly. Because we haven't had World War II in a long time. That's there why was, it's different. Yeah. There was a lot of fatigue, and I feel like, like it's almost circled back around to, like, people want... People are playing these... Um, like, and, and they said in the same call that, like, Infinite Warfare didn't really resonate with people um, or with, with some aspect of the audience because it was in space. Maybe it is too far flung. Like, maybe they've removed that human element from it. Because uh, I think that's what works well in Battlefield 1 is you have these vignettes where you kind of care about that person's individual sure. situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, World War II by its nature and by all the great stories around it in real life, I think you kind of care and you get it more and you get the stakes. And that was the last war that like really concretely felt like good versus evil. Um, So I think you just like you're in it a little Mm -hmm. more. And I think it lends itself to caring more about the characters. Battlefield one did actually sell more than, uh, Call of Duty last year, right? No, it didn't. no. no. Call du- at least, well, I, at least in North America, which is the only thing we get numbers for. Um, in North America, the best song game of the year was Infinite Warfare. Still Call of Duty, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I know that um, Battlefield One is supposed to be one of the most uh, difficult, the most demanding games to play on a PC. It is one of the most graphically demanding. Mm. Oh, games to play on I mean that game right is gorgeous. It's it really is gorgeous. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that uh, is something that they can use to market another World War Two game. Is like, look how much prettier we can make this. Yeah, game. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's the thing is like they haven't we haven't had a World War uh, I guess uh, a Call of Duty World War Two slash one game on new hardware. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the thing right. is when you're yeah. in space, it doesn't matter as much because it's not real, right? Mm-hmm. That's so the tagline like, of Alien. <laughs> when you're in space, it, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't matter, matter as much. much. It's not real. <laughs> but it's like harder to be like, whoa, this is pretty because it's something that you've literally never seen. Sure. sure. Yeah. 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 Whereas with this, if you see again, if you do the, the, the Omaha Beach, you're like, holy crap. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll be. I'm curious to see what that means. And I think uh, Call of Duty is in a really weird place because, like, sales are down, and they're openly acknowledging that sales are down. But it was but still the best still number game one game. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's, weird. There was a there was another earnings call last week for uh, Take Two, and and they talked about uh, Grand Theft Auto Five has now shipped 75 million. That's copies, so ridiculous. It's sold more so, in 2016 than it did in 2015. What that does that is mean? So crazy. Uh, so I mean, online is good. That's what <laughs> so it means. crazy. I think Activision has this reputation of kind of milking things like the Guitar Hero or Tony Hawk or Skylanders. Mm-hmm. They just come out over and over and over again until they move on. Call of Duty, I, I think even as sales go down, it will take so long to topple that mm-hmm. brand. I don't think, well, yeah. I mean, do you think in the next five, ten years, there'll be a year without Call of Duty, like we had Assassin's Creed take a year off. 
I like Activision. So it's interesting because this segues into Destiny 2 really well. So Destiny 2, the big news of it was 2017 is what they said, that it's still planned for 2017. And the big thing with Activision is like, unlike almost every major publisher, they do not delay. Yeah. Like a, I, I'm, maybe there's something I'm forgetting. Should have but yeah, but I like Call of Duty does not get delayed and it hits it every single year. And I think they're they are generally really good at that from a business perspective. But from a creative perspective, I don't know what that means, you know, because I, I think that this gen they're still doing well. But starting with Ghosts and leading all the way up through where we are now, mm-hmm. there hasn't been a Call of Duty game that like exploded the way, you know, Black Ops 2 did or, or yeah, anything like honestly, that. Yeah. So I, I wonder, I don't know, like I wonder if it, they I, what it would take for them to take it, a year off. We saw the public, well, quote unquote, the public. Backlash, backlash via YouTube last year of how the uh, Battlefield 1 reveal was like the most upvoted video and then the, the Infinite, Infinite Warfare, Warfare reveal video. was like the most downvoted sure. video. So and the downvote yeah. video, that seemed so stupid and reactionary because I was like, I don't think it was a great reveal, but like there's worse videos online. It's such a weird vocal minority thing because uh, we, we use I mean, that phrase all the time. Of people. <laughs> but, it, but it was the best selling game of the year. Yeah. Like, that's I think a lot like, of those people would have bought it anyways. It's, it's really easy to look at like downvotes on a video or comments on an article and be like, man, everyone hates Call of Duty now. And like even our like IGN traffic for Call of Duty, I think fluctuates all the time. Yeah, but it's interest. only like, it's mostly the most terrible people that come out and make terrible comments <laughs> and downvote stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not the people that love your content that are coming out in equal amounts. Yeah. But I think even the opposite is true. Even when you, if we write about a game all the time or even a movie like Scott Pilgrim a few years ago, we could not write about it without everybody being like, oh, this looks so good. I can't wait. And then it bombed. And you know, I think it's, yeah. it's important to remember that like, so much of what we see in the comments on YouTube videos and all of that like doesn't reflect reality. Well, but I also yeah. think that Call of Duty kind of exists in a weird bubble in the same way that FIFA does, where the people who play those games and buy those games often just buy those games. Yeah. And they have this cycle where it gets revealed, they hate it, they kind of grow interested in it, the hype buys in, they buy it, and the same thing just And then they complain happening. about it. Yeah. It's the people <laughs> yeah. who are complaining cycle? about it yeah. still buy it and like those games. I think you're totally right. I think it's, uh, yeah, they're in... All those annualized games, like sports games and then Call of Duty and, and kind of formerly Assassin's Creed fall into that where they keep doing well because people keep buying them. And yep. no matter how much right. they complain about them, they're still buying them. And I yeah. think that's the response to when is Call of Duty going to take a break when it's not the highest selling yeah. game of the year. That's right. Yeah, yeah unless they, they need to give it a breather to promote something like they're talking about doing the Call of Duty cinematic universe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, well, in the same way that neat. Assassin's Creed said, like, hey, this is the movie, or this is the year for the Assassin's Creed film, maybe Call of Duty will take a year off that in order to let that... Or when, <laughs> something else, when something else gets bigger. Yeah. I mean, when Guitar Hero, Guitar Hero, Guitar Hero was, was nonstop, like, I think Activision poured a lot of... Because you, you, like... Did you mean Guitar Hero 3? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When games hit their third installment, I just call them by the full name sometimes. It's like a Beetlejuice thing. Right. Uh, I got hit in the head while watching that movie. (laughs) Uh, I think they lean really heavily into not only just supporting it with annualized sequels, but uh, behind the scenes, their devs. Like like devs that used to make very different games will get folded into like Vicarious Visions became Mm -hmm. a Skylander studio because it was doing really well. And you see Raven become a Call of Duty support studio. Uh, I think they're really, really smart about uh, keeping those resources allocated where they need to. So if something gets bigger than Call of Duty, they're going to move one of those studios off of Call of Duty, move them to the new thing, and then Call of Duty probably has to miss it. You know what's insane is that we probably already know the best, the best, the four best-selling games will fall. Yeah, in yeah, Call of Duty, Destiny Two, Battlefront Two, and Red Dead. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's, that's probably true. right there. Yeah. yeah, and then maybe like it's crazy because like you have like these weird like Dark Horse entries like maybe Prey is huge and takes off and Bethesda puts all its money behind it and yeah. that's their next big pillar, but probably not. You know, like yeah, I feel like yeah. every year there's a there's a little like 1% chance movie or, or TV show or game where you like watch sure, the Oscars yeah, and yeah. watch all that stuff. But like, I don't know, I think like... W- the predictable stuff always. If I was literally any other developer trying to launch a new IP in the fall, I just wouldn't. Yeah, no way. Oh, as soon as Red Dead got announced, it'd be like, well, we're out. Yeah, Yeah. I'm either get it done in August or wait till February. Absolutely. It's also like, we don't know, maybe Switch will be so huge that Mario Odyssey is going to be gigantic. Yeah, or maybe, yeah. yeah, the Assassin's Creed Egypt, if that's real, and that's this year, gets re-revealed, looks amazing, and, you know, injects life back in that franchise. Yeah, it's, uh, so Activision, the kind of next two stories from their call were perfect to illustrate this conversation skylanders for the first time since i guess 2011 is taking a year off there's no skylanders game this year and it's crazy because like that's just not the way they operate but then destiny which wasn't annualized it has these expansions but now the next full sequel is this year and so i i'm curious to see what that game 
becomes and, and how successful of a platform it is. Because Destiny is huge. Everyone loves it. Everyone plays it. It's sold really well. But critically, when it launched, it was kind of a mess. It's terrible. And like the Wizard came from the moon and Peter Dinklage, everyone kind of made fun of it until they sort of revamped it. And I feel like it probably took until at least Taken King for them to kind of reclaim sure. the reputation yeah. of that game. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Taken King sort of retroactively fixed all those issues yeah, and yeah. also l- allowed them to reintroduce Destiny a year later and say, like, here it is. We fixed all the things that you heard about it in the initial review, so here's a better game. It now, And I remember a lot of their marketing and a lot of the conversation around the Taken King was like, there's never a better time to get into Destiny. Yep. That's, and that's what brought me back to it. I played a lot when it first launched and I dropped off, and then I played a lot when the Taken King came out. And taking the, the things that they've learned in these DLC drops and putting that learning towards a full-blown sequel is really exciting to me. It's interesting to put Destiny in sort of three games work, in my opinion, as games as a platform or games that came out with like uh, Destiny, Rainbow Six, and The Division came out as sort of sixes and sevens and then gradually grew and became eights and nines over time. And the fan base stuck (laughs) with them. Like Siege's fan base is huge. It's a really good game. That's what's so interesting about this being called Destiny 2 because Destiny is always in this weird boat where it's a shooter that kind of folds in MMO stuff. Uh, and if you look at actual MMOs, like World of Warcraft doesn't release World of Warcraft 2, World of Warcraft 3. Like, it's right. still, it's an expansion on the World same of Warcraft, game. World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft. exactly. Uh, world, World, World of Warcraft, <laughs> Warcraft, Warcraft. Uh, <laughs> Destiny 2, uh, we don't know yet. Like, maybe you keep your character and it's just a level cap thing. And it's essentially, it's Destiny 2 because there's so much content in it, but you do continue through the same yeah. thread. Or maybe it's literally like start from scratch. And if I it would, is the latter, I would so much rather that they just nuke characters from the first Destiny. But oh. Destin, who has a hundred trillion hours, probably doesn't want that. You yeah. know, like it's That's so hard for new players, and they obviously exactly. want to get new players, just like they did with the Taken King. Yeah. So it's like if you have people who are already a really high level, it's it just it, makes a really difficult bar yeah. of entry. Yeah. No, totally. So what's the point? I would guess that they will give us a dramatically different environment i think that I think destiny so 2 will just look very very a different planet and i think so one of the things they kept emphasizing in the call was that uh they really want to lean into story and characters and things people care about because they knew that was a criticism at the beginning of the sure. vanilla destiny honestly launch. when i think it launched I, I think that taken king was what they probably actually wanted that game to launch as yeah but maybe they had to or something similar yeah, yeah, yeah. i think that it wasn't even ever meant to be the game that it was when it came out i also just realized that finnegan has to listen to us talk about destiny <laughs> for this and he can't Sorry, <laughs> Is our uh, producer who is currently listening right now, Coolest. big Destiny fan. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, I am. I am super curious to see uh, kind of the strength of that brand because Activision, like I said, like maybe Destiny Two is the moment for that game, and it can surpass Call of Duty, and they can start to get support from other studios, and Destiny will be kind of their cash cow for the next ten years. You know, like with Activision, when they put their muscle behind something, it can be like the biggest thing sure yeah and i I think they're waiting as call of duty kind of dips a little bit more each year i think they're waiting for that next kind of replacement yeah uh that's uh, putting your muscle behind something is a good segue uh because this week is valentine's day and we want to talk about the best (laughs) romance in games or just sort of and the heart is a muscle the heart yeah uh just sort of uh i just i don't know i just want to talk about how video games deal with romance and relationships spoilers not sex do any of them deal with it well is this a learning curve are we getting better uh, I actually think relationships in The Witcher are very good. I think that's a really good example. Uh, my favorite sex scene in a video game ever is in Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon. It is very, very, very funny and totally pixelated and amazing. Um, there are games that do it tastefully, though, as well. Like, didn't The, the Witcher 3 have, like, 400 hours of mocap? Yeah. Like something yeah, insane they like mocap just insane amount of time for yeah. uh, sex scenes, yeah. Yeah, that, that boy girl does a whole bunch of sex sometimes. Well, yeah, you can... Just bone down with about anybody in that game. So don't you have sex on like a, uh, a unicorn at some point? Yeah, that happens. <laughs> yeah, you also have sex in a rowboat. <laughs> did you st- pretty much? Did, you, did you mispronounce robot? <laughs> no, Ro- there's no robots in The Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I bring it up on nearly every podcast ever except that one episode of Game Scoop. Uh, but Catherine. Yeah, yeah, Catherine. I mean, Catherine is about the most mature and realistic version of any sort of romance that I've seen in a yeah, game. Yeah, but it's more like Catherine. I think captures the like dysfunction of a oh, relationship, yeah, which I love. Like, yeah, but I mean, like, <laughs> so my party and I are into that. Game. <laughs> yeah, it's no, I mean, Firewatch does a very good job yeah. of that. Too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, would you, right? Because would you I describe don't... their relationship as romance, though. In Firewatch, yeah. I mean, they get it's they get liquored up and try to cross a line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they definitely they're held back by circumstances but i i totally i think that's one of the best l- little love stories in games even if it is forbidden or whatever yeah uh, i i think Catherine does it well i think uh there are a lot of games like mass effect and persona and things where you kind of 
choose your target for lack of a better term and kind of pursue one romantic path from several yeah um, i think that never works quite as well as when it's like you know like something like firewatch or something like a kind of single focus narrative game can spend so much energy into making sure you're on that path and yeah. love this person well, yeah i mean mass effect and dragon age the way the romance in those started was basically just you spoke to this person in private they love you yeah. now and here's yeah. a cutscene of you banging yeah, yeah exactly and those, those cutscenes are always so terrible yeah. and i feel like yeah. that's a a bad thing to gamify the growth of a relationship. I feel yeah. like that to an immature audience teaches a very, very bad and dangerous lesson. You mean uh, if I don't talk to somebody at least six times that they won't fall madly in love with me? Yeah, it's called I you mean, have to talk to them sex times. romance and fable though, right? Like, yeah. It's a PlayStation podcast, but it's like you give them enough gifts and they love you. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing in Dragon's Dogma. It's yeah. just like or, you find out someone is in love with you at the end of that game and whoever it is tends to be the person that you gave the most presents to. It's also like The Sims. It's like if these people live together long enough, they'll just get married. <laughs> Have a kid. Uh, I, I think it's a really weird, like something like Persona, like you do, you have like social links with individual characters and you, to get to the point where you're like intimate or whatever, you have to visit them over and over and over and say all the right things and choose the right options and like really spend hours and hours and hours with them. Um, and even that doesn't capture it well. I, I yeah. feel like, I don't know, I don't, I feel like for a game to do it right, it has to be a full on dating sim. <laughs> like I think the ones like there's um, uh, Amanda Cosmos, a friend of the show who has a column at Kotaku, uh, writes about these games where it's like, the entire focus of the game, like the entire mechanic is dating. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where you probably get into a lot more of it's like visual novels where you get into a lot more of the nuance and into the kind of uh, actual love of it all because you're not taking breaks to kill monsters. Sure. And some of them are kind of silly on the outside, like hot full boyfriend, which can be which is a pigeon. Yeah. But they have really interesting dynamics underneath them. I thought in terms of games in the fall, I thought the way the opening of Watch Dogs 2 handled the fact that you get drunk, you wake up at this girl's apartment after a one-night stand, and just sort of like put your pants on and bounce. You're like, where am yeah, I? Yeah, only you know, you back to San Francisco. Oh, yeah, you literally yeah. don't have pants. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, and that's another interesting thing is like casual sex isn't something that really happens in video games. Yeah. It's always if, like you spend all this time yeah, and you have a romantic relationship. Yeah, you're either in love or yeah, yeah. nothing at all. I like um, uh, uh, the newest Wolfenstein has this scene where uh, – B.J. Blaskovitz and the girl's name, Anya, I believe. Uh, You just sort of had Anya. There's just a scene where, like, after all the stuff you've been through, the two of them just, like, go at it in a train car. And it's totally, like, I think the way it's handled is just, like, everything sucks. This is a release for both of us. Sure. Yeah. So we've had conversations about that romance before in that, uh, yeah, it's dealt with in a way that is casual and they're just like, let's just have sex on this train. All right. And they don't make a big deal out of Mm -hmm. it. It's not really relevant afterwards which i think is mature yeah i also don't buy that that would ever happen between the two of them she is his caretaker for several yeah, years. yeah that's the weird thing well he is a vegetable yeah and then <laughs> like he can talk and they just have sex yeah, yeah i don't that, buy that, it that, i feel like like wartime yeah, whatever literally but, had to, like, yeah, like she that. had to clean his like yeah like his right? baths yeah. yeah i feel like their relationship <laughs> to her is like she is a caretaker it's yeah like, that i just it's like a very maternal fight. that was that one yeah. Seinfeld episode where she fell in love like he had to keep pretending that he was uh <laughs> oh in a, like, yeah in a coma. Uh, had to keep pretending he was in a coma one of my favorite uh little romantic kind of vignettes is uh the game sybil uh yeah. is nina freeman who's now working on tacoma at fulbright uh it's people who meet playing an MMO mm-hmm. and then the, essentially the the only story to that game is that they meet while playing and it's just their conversations and you're living through them and the end goal you know from the very beginning is that they're going to meet up and have sex and it's building to that and I feel like it's actually like it's super awkward intentionally and it's like it's probably the best kind of example of just like awkward flirting I've ever mm-hmm. seen in the game but I don't know that it gets the romance part of it yeah. super well. There's an interesting itchio game i was playing a little while ago called uh i think it's called one night stand uh and oh, again that. like that thing in uh watchdogs you wake up in uh you play as a gir- guy and you wake up a gir- guy. in a girl's bed <laughs> and you get you had a one night stand and you don't know what's happening and through looking at stuff around you and talking with her you try to piece together what happened last night That's cool yeah i really like the games are starting to explore like there was a there's another little like uh it wasn't a twine game, but it was like a browser game that was literally just about buying condoms. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's like browser really, game. It's, yeah, it's crazy to me that like people are exploring as you giggle. I feel like it's, it's funny to me that people are exploring more mature. Like it doesn't have to be like an insane graphic pornographic sex scene or anything, but it's just like the realities the of hooking up or does. the realities yeah. of, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, for most of the things we're talking about, I 
I don't think the romance is captured at all as soon as you gamify it. Yeah. As soon as it is, this is the objective and you need to do this amount of things. Like, that's not how relationships work <laughs> right. at all. I think Firewatch and, and I, even kind of Oxenfree are games yeah. that explore yeah. relationships in realistic ways because it's telling you something, not getting you to do something yeah, to achieve it, something. It doesn't, like, that, unfold at the end of each chapter. It unfolds no. just naturally. Andrew yeah. touched on it a little bit, but I think outside of like a sexual relationship i, I think that <laughs> i think that the persona series in general handles all relationships sort of in that same way yeah. in that there's a lot of like discussion and dialogue and choosing the right things to say at the right moments and not just it's not just a binary option you know what i mean it's yeah. not yeah. like a black and white thing especially if it's an achievement or whatever you can get locked into wanting the outcome to be that the relationship is successful. Yeah. yeah. Not because you're interested in the dialogue, but just because it's a thing that you can do. Sure. It's yeah, like, it's well, I'm going to do that off. then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I like about in Persona, it, it, I think is exactly right. The process, I guess this sounds weird, but the process of dating someone and like talking to them and learning more about them and leveling up their thing is the same as bonding with your surrogate father you know it's like the same thing as like the way you make friends with people the way that you bond with the people closest to you is also the way that you just end up dating somebody sure. because the idea is you start in the same way just wanting to learn somebody. more about them yeah. and then it becomes more than that yeah and i think that's sort of closer to sure. real life yeah but it's still not perfect yeah. i also uh you know you brought up uh mmos um i know two separate couples who are married with children and they met on world of warcraft wow that's wild two separate couples crazy, and crazy. like they're both super happily married and have been for a really long time and i think that's kind of awesome and in a weird way makes world of warcraft have the potential to be a dating game oh sure. yeah well what you know what they say couples that raid together stay together <laughs> i've, I've heard that right. before yeah. it's also crazy because uh one of the guys you know is literally an orc and he probably couldn't have found love if yeah. he hadn't played well, yeah, that's, that's really incredible. cool borgrock yeah. <laughs> to borgrock the wedding between Borgrock and Katie was just a really yeah, beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, Borgrock, sweet. friend of the show. It was yeah. sweet when Katie's father finally just right. embraced Borgrock. They had a really this tender so moment. It was really, it was really awkward. Yeah. It was really awkward when Alana had to sit on Borgrock's side. <laughs> really looked out of place. Thank you. Uh, uh, I also just like, I think that intimacy in video games is often so poorly animated. Yeah. Because yep. it's yeah. even just... That, even just interaction is awkward because, you know, their lips can't actually touch. So there's just like this weird, yeah. like, smushing of faces. Mass Effect, Mass Effect yeah. 2 was probably one of the most painful experiences for me watching the sex scenes that happens at, Max, yeah. at the end of Mass Effect 2. Because yeah. it's just like, they're just staring off into space, but also <laughs> looking right at each other. It's like, this is so fucking bizarre. I feel like, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna swear. Sorry. I feel like Assassin's Creed, uh, back when it was Ezio, actually did a pretty good job yeah. of the sex scenes. Because mm -hmm. it was like implied. Oh, yeah. Rather yeah. than, I think it was at least. I don't remember that well, but I feel like it was implied rather than a thing that actually happened. Whereas I think right. Witcher 2 kind of did the same thing. Yeah, and like, I, I feel and, like, like God of War. Yeah. Early God of War. Oh, well, you got those really, two ladies in the hot yeah, yeah. Like, there are a lot of there are more bad examples than good examples. Like, yeah, so I especially think it's going better, that though. far back. Yeah. I mean, like God of War was one of the earliest examples. Or like, where hot it was coffee like hey, you yeah. could do sex right in this game. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's getting better though. Like a lot of the games yeah. we mentioned that do it well are recent games. Well, I yeah. think the way in the same way that writing is maturing in games, like people Absolutely. are are really taking their own life experiences and figuring out how to put that into a game, how to make those relationships really count, as opposed to just being like, well, now you could do sex. Well, and it's also like games are. I think post gone home because like we, we had this kind of trend in the industry where games were zooming out and out and out and it was a mm -hmm. bigger and bigger open world explore town explore city explore state explore country whatever whereas like after gone home um, I, I think you're zooming in and in more like it's okay to have a two hour game focusing on a conversation or on yeah. a couple yeah and yeah. I think like that helps add to things like intimacy because like it lets it feel natural and unfold like it can unfold in real time basically yeah, rather well, than just an afterthought yeah. I think it's safe to say that smaller games tend to do relationships and romance better than like big triple A titles like, yeah. yeah I mean you're given the freedom to sort of explore sure yeah. I mean that said you and I are going to PAX East and apparently they have a bunch of uh, dating sims mm -hmm. that are part of the India Mega Booth and I've played one dating sim, which is one of the, like the first games that I actually played. It was a flash. Yeah, flash we both game. remember playing that at Ebubbles World. Yeah, yeah. Uh, weird. Yeah, because <laughs> well, I could play it at school, right? So I mean, probably should probably should that. not have played that game at school. at school. But I mean, I could because it was on the computer. I didn't have to worry about it. But I haven't played one in a really, really long time, and I'm super interested to see what they're like now and how mature they are, or whether it's just <laughs> is really that how school works in Australia? Is like as long as you're doing something on a computer, you can just do whatever. <laughs> I mean, so the idea is that I could go to the library and like go on Ebubbles World. 
before they figured out to uh, blacklist it uh, and play games on there. Sure. And that was like one of the games that was long form and you had a login for it so okay. I could actually continue, continue playing. playing. Yeah. Okay. No. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I think a good, uh, kind of in the same vein, actually, a lot of the place or, or a lot of the dating sims that have come out recently that have done well are on iOS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. like, like yeah. Mystic Messenger last year, it's, you can pick up your phone and, and follow a story and then exit out of it and go back to whatever you were doing. And yeah. I think that sort of um, things like handhelds and like iOS, like pick up and play sort of makes it more palatable to mm-hmm. do a little bit at a time. Right. Yep. You heard it here first. Relationships and games, they weren't good, but they're getting better. Now we're moving on to Rapid Fire. <laughs> Get up and walk out. <laughs> All right. Yep. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show uh, with Rapid Fire. That is a segment where we go into our Facebook uh, group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash podcast beyond. Uh, it's a wonderful group. Join that uh, if you haven't. And we ask uh, you guys to give us questions about all sorts of things. Uh, so we're going to pop around a little bit. Uh, Jason Sutton asks, uh, what's the best comfort food show? What do you all watch when, you, when, oh. when you're feeling under the weather? Or, the Simpsons. Bob's yeah. Burgers. Yeah, I think I'm Rick and Morty, Arrested Development, Parks yeah, and Rec. Yeah, Futurama, Futurama, Parks and Rec are good. Um, Comedies also, like, honestly, for me, British shows, uh, like Downton Abbey started as that for me. You can talk uh, about the super cooking show. Yeah, great, yes. <laughs> the great British great Bake, British bake, off. bake off is Perfect for that, yeah. Uh, um, no, I had a long-running gag with my, my college roommates. Like, they always knew if I was sick because I would religiously watch The Simpsons. Like, if I was sick, I'd be, like, on the couch watching The Simpsons, and they'd come home and be like, oh, no, what's wrong, buddy? You feeling okay? Like, yeah, it was also, they were. just had real bad diarrhea. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> those are the two the telltale Simpsons, signs. The Simpsons gives me diarrhea. That's- I think it's a, uh, following characters, but nothing you care too much about. Like, sure. honestly, the CW superhero shows are really good for that, too. Like, I feel like there's a thread you can follow, so, like, you feel like you're, like, paying attention to something and not just thinking about being sick. But it's not like all the leftovers were at or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's it's, it's not like so insanely dense that you have to pay attention. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, cool. Uh, Sean Clerkin asks, "Where is Dreams? Uh, Mia Molecule has been dead silent for almost a year now, and I'm starting to worry uh, about the studio being closed down." So here's the weird thing with Dreams: they said there would be a beta in 2016, and they were silent for a while. But then, they, right after PSX, they put out a blog post that said, "Hey, we weren't at PSX, but like that beta is in 2017. We're focused. You'll see more soon." Blah blah blah. That doesn't really say anything, but they haven't been like totally radio silent. They do regular streams, don't they? Yeah, they've shown a lot of it. Like, that's the thing. I think people think Dreams has been more silent than it has because they haven't been on stage at like an E3 or Or PSX PSX or anything in a while. But like, if you look online, if you follow Media Molecules channels, they've actually shown a lot of that game. Why are you laughing at me? This question is asked. Where is dreams in all caps? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what other line of questioning comes along with that? Like, <laughs> what am knowledge? <laughs> when is learning? <laughs> also, it'd be great if you just yelled that in the middle of like Times Square. Where is dreams? Where That's is. how the next season of Mr. Robot ends. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that probably the case with dreams is that um, they have shown a lot of it, but because a lot of it is similar and we haven't had any actual solid updates, it's not made the news. I wonder if. The reason they're waiting is because what they've shown since 2013, uh, before it was even announced as Dreams, they showed that little demo at the PS4 reveal event. What they've shown has all been like a very abstract creation mode of like, right. let's make still life, let's make like mm-hmm. a cute little landscape, whatever. Mm-hmm. They've at least hinted at the fact that there's more to it than that. Yeah. And so like if there is a campaign or something, I would assume and that's what we, it's all about. but implied now it's PSVR. Yeah. I yeah. don't I don't think it's gonna have a campaign uh, unless it's community made, but that Dreams is intended to be a social network. Yeah. Um, it is Facebook on crack. It's mm-hmm. not meant to be a video game. It's not even meant to be a little big planet. It is meant to be something where creative people share different things and then they get shared and adapted and it turns into like a Chinese whispers of things just repeatedly being shared and, and made into different weird stuff. I almost wonder. Chinese whispers? No, Ooh, man. Let's like not the, say that a third time. The game where you go around in a circle and someone says something. That's called changes. telephone That's in America. That's called telephone call that in America. Called, you said it a third time. We just asked you not to. I mean, I don't think saying Chinese is racist. Uh, no, I don't think so either. But um, to Andrew's point, I think that that Dreams has been so nebulous that maybe they are just having taking a really long time figuring out what the mechanics are behind. And how do you sell this game? Yeah. Well, and it's also don't forget that I, Alana nailed it in that it's making creative things and sharing them with people. Uh, if you buy that game, if they put that game out two months after it was announced and you bought it and nothing was populated sure. and you search for tree and there's no tree, like they want to have thousands of things available to you that have already been created. So I think a lots. big part of it yeah. is, yeah, exactly. I think a big part of it is kind of creating that foundation that sure. then once it's out in the wild, people can build on. I think I actually caught wind of them intending to work really closely with 
influencers and even music artists or directors to have populated dreams when it launches so people yeah. have access to people that they really like and stuff they've already made. That would be super smart. Which is yeah. also a really big undertaking. I, I think wonder, Media Molecule should reach out to this show and let us do, make things and put yeah. them in there. I have I a lot think of great, we are I have a lot of talented We can make enough. the wedding of Borgrock and Katie. <laughs> I have a lot of great ideas for how that wedding looks. Uh, I, do, <laughs> I do wonder, like, <laughs> would it have been better served uh, just being out there and being a pack-in game with PS4 or even PSVR? I don't know. Really like I, I, I mean, did they miss the boat on that though? Like, if you're going to pack it in with PSVR, are you waiting for the updated version of PSVR? Oh, no, I, yeah, like, I mean, I mean, at launch, yeah, sure. I, they, if that was the chance to do something, then they missed that boat. I, I don't know. Like, maybe this game. I just don't know. I don't know when this launches or what this launches as that makes it a commercial success. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you break through to the mainstream with I this game. I don't think this game is going to be a commercial success by any means, but I think it will probably have a small and very hardcore yeah, uh, user, user base. base. I just yeah. love Media Molecule. And so yeah, I, me too. I, I, I worry about them. them to do more. So do I. Because, like, Tearaway, you know, sales of Tearaway certainly didn't set the world on fire. And, and Little Big Planet was a huge commercial success for them, but they've long since moved on from it. Time ago. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we had a conversation on the show a few weeks ago about Sony's first party studios. Uh, Media Molecule is the one to me that I worry the most about because I think they do the projects that are the least commercially viable mm-hmm. yeah. and like well, also the most ambitious. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So I guess we'll see. I, I think Sony knows that and I think they want to give them that creative freedom, but obviously they have to keep the lights on. Yeah. So. Point. Uh, Kevin Goody asks, uh, "What's everyone's worst date they've ever had?" Oof, mine stood up a few times. <laughs> Those are pretty bad. That's pretty bad, dude. I remember shortly after moving to San Francisco, I took a girl on a date to see the film Frost Nixon, which was a bad idea. Uh, and <laughs> after the movie, movie, after the movie, we went uh, to get a drink. <laughs> At a bar, and I ordered uh, a vodka soda and asked her what she wanted, and she said a water. And then I asked her what she thought of Frost Nixon, and she said, I don't like movies. Oh, boy. So that she doesn't like drinking and she doesn't <laughs> like movies? Man, you're way out. That's terrible. I have like three things, and that's Opposites two of them. attract. <laughs> uh, I've never had like a, like a really terrible date. I don't feel like I've had like a necessarily bad date, but I have. I someone to see Frost Nixon. No kidding. But I have had a date where. Uh, Everything was going really great, and I was like, oh, I think I'm really into this girl. And then at the end of the date, she told me that her favorite record of all time was Bush's 16 Stone. <laughs> and as a music snob, I was just like, well, this is over. So that was, that was not great. Uh, uh, I have actually recorded a YouTube video, which is going up on Valentine's Day. Oh, plug, that plug, is, plug, 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 plug. Well, it's, I don't want to answer this because it's literally about my worst date ever. Um, so to give you guys the short version, uh, he showed up drunk and insulted me various times. Oh, no. That was pretty bad. Uh I was in the wow, you really one. pissed on your parade, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I was in this date once we were at this restaurant and the service was awful and the conversation was really bad and it made it, we had to wait forever to get anything, get any drinks, any food. And it was like so just awkward and kept going on and on and on. But we made it through and then towards the end of the meal, she revealed she had a husband and he was this Oh orc. boy! Oh, <laughs> oh, God! Shout out to Katie. Katie. I did not see that coming. <laughs> Oh, amazing. <laughs> all right. That was, that was solid. Thank you. Uh, all right. We're going to skip around a bit because uh, we're running out of time. Uh, Please ask the Shovel Knight question. All right. Jonathan Aldez says, I've played uh, Shovel Knight and I love it. I want to play more Metroidvania games. But it turns out I hate being lost. What are some great games with gameplay like Shovel Knight? Um, Good Metroidvania games. Uh, yeah. So uh, Shovel Knight is awesome. I wouldn't really classify it as a Metroidvania game. But if you are looking for that sort of game, if you really want to get into Metroidvania games, I've recently been playing through... Uh, Metroid Zero Mission, which is fantastic. And one of the things that you're talking about here is um, you hate being lost. Zero Mission does a really great job of suggesting where you need to go next, but not telling you how to get there or what puzzles to solve or what you need to get there. So uh, if that's what you're looking for, uh, I would say start there. Also, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, I think, is... Or Super that. Metroid, the games that started yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, Symphony of the Night is maybe one of my top five favorite games of all time. It's and still I think so it's, playable. Yeah. Man, on PS4... You can play it's hard. Guacamelee? Yeah, Guacamelee yeah. is probably... Uh, Guacamelee like, is really tough. Yeah. Guacamelee is probably the best example of Metroidvania in recent years I can think of, but it's not really like Shovel Knight. Like, I agree that Shovel Knight's not so much of a Metroidvania yeah, as much as like Man. a Mega Man. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of um, someone recently, or Jason Schreier actually from Kotaku, described The Witness as... A Metroidvania where, what was it? A Metroidvania where the items are all in your mind or something, I believe is what he said. Every item you get is in your mind, which I think is so good. Yeah, like so good. That game is. But all the items are in your mind. You're, as you go, you are 
progressing as though it's a metroidvania um and in that every skill builds upon itself and you can revisit old areas and sure it's if you have patience, that game's good, but it's, it doesn't fulfill the yeah. not getting lost. Honestly, I, I made I made fun of it, but that is a really, really great good. way to That's yeah, like describe super pretentious, yeah. but it's excellent. Yeah. Uh, also and then the only a, other, just the new Tomb Raider. Uh, the Tomb Raider the, those yeah. games oh, yeah. actually yeah. operate like Metroidvania yeah. in, in that you are like unlocking as you go and then using the things you've learned and the items you've gained to kind of mm-hmm. come back. I think there's less incentive in the new Tomb Raider game Tomb Raider games as there is in something like Symphony of the Night or like totally Met- yeah. Super Metroid yeah. because I mean, it's in Tomb Raider more. you're going you're going back to uncover uh, upgrades and stuff that you don't necessarily need to finish the game. Yeah, but, sure, yeah. Uh, Arkham That's Asylum true. is a good example. Yeah, Arkham yeah. Asylum is the a first one is a great example. Metroidvania. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it has probably will never come to PS4, but Ori in the Blind Forest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you have yeah. an Xbox One or a PC. Uh, very good. I haven't played Owlboy, but I've, I heard that. Shadow Complex. Yes. I really want Shadow Complex. Yeah. Shadow Complex. Shadow Complex came out uh, last year for <laughs> PS4. I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Chase uh, Morocco asks, all right, Alana, you've been here long enough. What is your favorite fast food in America, be it a menu or a chain? Whataburger. Ooh. Whataburger. Whataburger. Nice call. First yeah. time I ever had alcohol is in a Whataburger. Weird. Yeah. They serve alcohol there? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just a weird coincidence. No, a, a bunch of people had whatever crappy, like Mike's Hard Lemonade or whatever crap they'd smuggled in. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I just I just love the burgers. They've got lots of sauce. I think the A1 burger is my favorite one. But um, A1 is such a good sauce. It's like yeah, five sauce. Big fan. Like uh, what's your least favorite? Yeah, have you had an experience yeah. that you've hated? Like, have you had Taco Bell and hated it? I have it? had Taco Bell. It Nobody hates Taco fine. Bell. Take it back. Uh, right, that was on our terrible road trip to um, Vegas to see us last oh, year Lord. wearing pneumonia. So, you know Taco what? Bell Taco gave, Bell gave you pneumonia? pneumonia? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it's hard to say least favorite because I feel like I'm around people who, you know, being new to the country are driving me to the places that they like. So I don't think any of the fast food has been bad. But hmm. I mean, Taco Bell's not a, not a favorite. You take that back. You didn't get to have. Taco Bell's fine. It's great. You didn't get to have McDonald's the other night. That was sad. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. McDonald's. When we finished playing Resident Evil 7, I had had an entire bottle of wine. It was like three in the morning. since like 1 p.m. Yeah. It was real bad, except the Oreos, which yeah. We had an entire bag of Oreos and just got pissed drunk yeah. playing Resident Evil 12. Uh, so then I booked my Uber and tried to get to go through a uh, drive through McDonald's because I was so hungry, but it was really late, so everything was closed. And by the time that we got there... Uh, they said that there was cash only, and I didn't have any cash, but then there were cars behind us, so we had to wait for the whole damn line, and I couldn't even eat, and I got home with starving. <laughs> you should have like, asked the Uber driver, like, do you have money? Like, No, he offered, and I was like, absolutely not. Like, there's no fine. way. fine. McDonald's is butt, anyway. You're butt. Well, Dude, when, when you're when drunk, McDonald's is great. you've had a whole and bottle of wine? <laughs> with you, we ate McDonald's like three times <laughs> in, in Japan. Japan. <laughs> Shut up. We, we promised we'd never speak of that. God, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, that was Beyond Episode 480. Uh, you can find us all on Twitter. I'm at Nick Biggity. Alana's at Charlanazard. Andrew's at Garfep. And Zach is at Zacharias D. That's right. And if you're getting out there, don't piss on anybody's parade. Don't piss on anybody's parade. Don't take a girl to see Frost Nixon. And uh, <laughs> don't get liquored up and be mean to someone. Uh, on the also, day. shout out to Katie. Uh, we yeah. hope that her marriage with the orc is yep. going. I mean, shout out to Katie, but also that wasn't cool what you did to Andrew. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Bulk Rock and Seth. <laughs> sure. Screw Katie. Yep. And uh, we're out. All right. Bye. Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't say beyond at the start of the show. No, we didn't. Yeah, we absolutely didn't.